I'd like to welcome all of you here to Sunday service at Ananda Village, especially our guests and visitors. It's wonderful to have you here and those who are returning anew, shall we say. I'll read to you. I am Nayaswami Parvati. This is Nayaswami Pranava, and we're very happy to be here with you. I'll read from Rays of the One Light, the reading for this week. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The book of Isaiah in the Bible, chapter 9, tells us, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. What is this light of which so many scriptures speak? In Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramhansa Yogananda, we read of an early experience the Master had with that light. I was blessed about the age of eight with a wonderful healing through the photograph of Lahiri Mashai. This experience gave intensification to my divine love. While at our family home's estate in Ichapur, Bengal, I was stricken with Asiatic cholera. My life was despaired of. The doctors could do nothing. At my bedside, Mother frantically motioned to me to look at Lahiri Mashai's picture on the wall above my head. Bow to him mentally. She knew I was too feeble, even to lift my hands in salutation. If you really show your devotion and inwardly kneel before him, your life will be spared. I gazed at his photograph and saw there a blinding light enveloping my body and the entire room. My nausea and other uncontrollable symptoms disappeared. I was well. At once I felt strong enough to bend over and touch Mother's feet in appreciation of her immeasurable faith in her guru. Mother pressed her head repeatedly against the little picture. O omnipresent Master, I thank thee that thy light hath healed my son. I realized that she too had witnessed the luminous blaze through which I had instantly recovered from a usually fatal disease. Where my light is, God once told a saint whom the divine light has healed, no darkness can dwell. The divine light, pure, calm, liberating, is the only final cure for every kind of delusion, ill health, emotional grief, and spiritual ignorance. Seek it daily in the silence, in deep meditation. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the fifth chapter, For whom that darkness of the soul is chased by light, Splendid and clear shines manifest the truth, as if a sun of wisdom sprang to shed its beams of light. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. 
This reading is taken from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's book of Answered Prayers. I built a fire of devotion in the dark forest of delusion. Alas, the fire only smoldered. Then thou didst come and set fire to a few of my frailties. That fire quickly spread, consuming the bushes of my prickly desires, my tall, towering vanities, and the thick underbrush of my arrogance. The whole force of my darkness is blazing, and I behold only thy light shining everywhere. I thank thee, Father, for thy help. Help me thus always. Let me open a path of light for all to follow. I was thinking that uh, now that we're outside, we have to have this awkward old-age technology of a microphone right in our mouths. Um, But I was thinking... You know, the answer is being telepathic, where we could just kind of commune with each other. The only challenge with that is that we would know too many of the thoughts that we have that we wouldn't want to share. So I'm sure there's a refinement as we go into this age of what we do with that. But I think all of you know that, that before Sunday service, we have the fire ceremony and purification ceremony. But perhaps some of you watching this on the Internet may not know that. But it is part of our Sunday morning experience that we have the the fire ceremony. And there are two mantras that are used in the fire ceremony, the Gayatri mantra and the Mahamicham Jaya mantra. And the first time I had the blessing to be a part of a fire ceremony was when I first came here to Ananda Village in 1978. And Swami Kriyananda often before Sunday service, would lead lead the fire ceremony. Back then, we didn't have what we know now as the purification ceremony. But he led the fire ceremony, and this was up at the meditation retreat because this facility here, the Expanding Light, wasn't in existence at that point. But I remember from the very first Sunday, being there in that setting, just being deeply touched by these Sanskrit mantras that there was something in just the vibration of them, without even understanding what they meant in English. But the meaning is helpful. The Gayatri Mantra is really tuning into illumination and wisdom. And it's chanted on a daily basis by millions and millions and millions of people every day as a part of their spiritual practice. It has a lot of power to it. And the words are very simple as they're loosely translated into English that we meditate on the supreme effulgence of the three universes. May it enlighten our consciousness. Pretty straightforward and simple. But this idea that the light is always there, and it's supreme. You know, effulgence means that it's radiant. It's, it's out from its flow, touching every part of creation. That effulgence is powerful. And it's supreme meaning that it really is omnipresent. It isn't just a a little light. It is the light that exists throughout the universe, throughout creation. But this idea that we meditate on that supreme light, the supreme light of the three universes. So what are the three universes? We know it's the physical universe, the astral universe, and the causal universe. Meaning, again, that we're not just talking about a physical light. We're talking about an awareness, a consciousness, the presence of the divine. Because if it's in all three universes, 
it's obviously more subtle in those other ones than the physical than what we think of as just the light. But in our world, in this physical realm, that light that's here is very, very important to tune into. But this idea then that may it enlighten our consciousness. May it enlighten our consciousness. Now that's uh, always the uh, kind of the riddle of deep teachings. Because in effect, part of our consciousness is always in that light. When we live in super-consciousness, when we live in cosmic consciousness, when we live in Christ consciousness, that light isn't somewhere else trying to come into us. That light is us. So what's being said here from this perspective of us in duality, in this created world where our individual soul maybe isn't completely dissolved into eternal spirit, that we offer ourselves rather than presuming, but we offer ourselves and ask, may it enlighten our consciousness. Very sweet way of looking at it. Because what's happening in this world of duality is that we're given many opportunities that really sometimes are obvious and sometimes aren't. You know what it's like that tests arrive in your face and you're aware of them and you're willing to deal with them. And then, every once in a while, they sneak in through the back door and they catch you unguarded and seemingly unprepared. And they test you to your limit. They just take you and keep pushing, pushing, and pushing. But that's the nature of duality. Duality is doing exactly what it's set up to do. In a sense, we could say it's the gift from the divine to make sure we're not going to settle for anything less than our enlightenment and our liberation. There's this wonderful verse in the Bhagavad Gita, I think it's in chapter 2, where Krishna says to Arjuna, those who are unmeditative cannot know peace. And those who lack peace, how is happiness possible? Isn't that very simple and direct? Um, very, very revealing and very, very helpful. Because we just have to look at what is it that's going to bring us the qualities of light and light expressed through these other qualities of peace, of calmness, of unconditional love, of bliss. How do these qualities really become more manifest? Remember, they are already part of who you and I are. They're not really separate. But the magic of the shadow show uh, clouds that over and brings the veils over our reality of those qualities. And we accept that they aren't there. For me at times, when I've felt these tests come, and maybe you feel this too, I felt real doubt, real lack of confidence, and in tears at times, really just feeling the burden seems so great. It just feels these tests are so overwhelming. At the end of the day when I feel those impositions on my soul, I only have one recall, one resource, 
really, it just feels like there's nothing I can do except say to Master, say to the Divine, really, this is yours. I will do my best, but this is yours. You know, I'm here to know you. And all these things that come in my way, I really don't on my own have the capacity to deal with them. And sometimes the doubt is great enough where I'm not sure that God has the capacity through me to deal with them. And perhaps you felt that, where it just feels pretty overwhelming, pretty tough. But then I just feel, you know, really that doesn't matter either. You know, all I need to do is do what's before me. And it's interesting that Swami Kriyananda in the uh, the write-up for this quality of non-attachment in the Affirmations book talks about building a mental fire at the end of each day and then in all those challenges, those obstacles. For whatever reason in my life, I, and don't hold this against me, uh, and Swamiji, don't hold it against me, um, I've never really tuned into the idea of the fire at the end of the day. It's just odd uh, that I've never really tuned into it. Because what I end up doing, even if I try to conjure up that visualization, what immediately comes directly into not only my visual sense, but my whole being, is Paramahansa Yogananda. Just being very real in front of me, and then being very real in me. So the conversation no longer is two-way. It just is the feeling of that presence. And I've promised myself that, this is many years ago, that I wouldn't go to sleep until I felt that touch. And sometimes it stretches out before I feel that touch. And sometimes it's instantaneously. But that doesn't matter either. It's just really feeling that I'm here, I'm doing my best to offer myself. And then it's up to you, Master. It's up to you, God. I can only do so much. But I know, I've heard this, I know the understanding of this, and I'm feeling it more and more that with God, everything is possible. Unlike this church notice that was real in a church bulletin that said, don't let worry kill you off, let the church help. (laughs) Uh, Well, substitute the word for your own uh, ingenious methods of complicating your life instead of the church that sometimes we will do the job of uh, killing ourselves off with the worries. And you know what it's like when worries hound you. It's not as if they're, um, they're quiet partners sort of off in the distance. They seem to be really much more invested in you than you would ever hope they would be. But uh, again, worries are simply uh, a veil, a covering. And even things like panic which is sort of an extreme version of worry, you know, where suddenly you're just engulfed in something much more strong, much more powerful. And you know what that's like, probably. Hopefully you don't know what it's like, but you probably do know what it's like. That when panic comes, 
there's such a deep irritation. You feel it physically, you feel it in your heart, you feel the disturbance in your emotions, you feel it in your mind not being clear. You just feel it as a powerful force. It's, it's like a, a big wave. Um, you know, if you've ever been on the ocean and you have inadvertently been caught by a big wave, uh, it is so overwhelming. Literally, I remember one time, uh, this is when I was trying to ride waves on a boogie board, that a bigger-than-usual sneaker wave came. And I remember it just plowed me into the sand and collapsed my lungs. It just felt I had no breath. It's sort of like when you get punched in the stomach. Uh, It just felt like pure, real panic. I mean, it was so visceral. It was so alive with the intensity of this energy. And I remember just thinking without really even remembering so much, but just from some deep level, om. Because I just thought, this could be it. This could be me leaving quite easily at this point. And then I disappeared into the wave again. It just tumbled me, you know, just kept tumbling through. And this woman that was also hit by the wave, she just said, I can't breathe! And I said, Just get on the beach, lie down, and breathe. You know, and just think of that. Isn't that solution real app for us when we get tested all the time? Breathe. In a sense, the breath is the light of the divine. Shining in the darkness, whatever test is before us. And that breath becomes alive because it's full of prana. It is om. Remember, om is both the sound, the vibration, and the light. And in that light, if we can tune into the other parts of what that light is, we will feel alive in that experience. And this is where the reading from the affirmation is very important as well, on non-attachment. Because it is when we're able to move forward in the little tests in life, to greater tests, to those extreme tests, if we can just feel that we're separated from the immediacy of those tests. You know, again, if you just breathe when you're feeling tension, things change. Things change immediately. I know David and Karen Gamow, who are part of our Ananda Palo Alto community, have done a lot of workshops in the world with a lot of businesses, everything from NASA to Yahoo and Um, all sorts of people, the United Nations and all sorts of groups. And what they've distilled is a process that's very meaningful to really um, be redeemed by the light, as we would say it. I'm not sure they would say that to those groups. Um, um, But basically it's that, you know, when you're in a tense situation, when the challenge is vibrantly there with you, that to really pause to create a separation by just pausing from the immediacy of that event, that person, that situation. And then to, secondly, to bring in the light by breathing, to breathe diaphragmatically. Because it's like we have this gift from the divine in our physiology, that by tuning into that deeper, relaxed breath, that there is an automatic response that allows us to be distanced to some degrees from whatever that imposing tension is. It's as if we've 
shifted from that fight and flight response that is normal for us when we are dealing with dilemmas and tensions in our lives. But we can immediately, I mean literally, within a second or two, change that to being relaxed and refined. That doesn't mean we don't have the energy to deal with the situation, but we have the energy. When you're in fight and flight, you don't have the energy. The energy is in control of you. It's motivating you to survive. So you really aren't in control of that energy. So when we can come to that rest and repose, that rest and refinement part, then we can see what's going on. We can see where the light is. We can see where the darkness is. We can see where the magic shadow show is clouding our clarity. And then we can step back and observe and reflect on what's really going on in a true manner. And then we can choose. We can choose. As David and Karen Gamow like to say, we get to choose how we end this scene in the movie of life. What is it that's really needing to happen? We always have a choice. No matter how much circumstances, people, the environment, push us to the point where we feel there is no choice. It's only because we've collapsed into the dark hole. And what we want to do is just open up to that light, making conscious choices so that we can bring superconsciousness and the touch of light and that touch of the divine more readily into our lives. The more that we're able to just keep moving with that as life is with us, the more we gravitate to that as our normal response. When someone barks at us or bites us, we can feel the compassion in our hearts for that person. We may not accept their behavior that may be dark, but we can open up and tune into the deep compassion for that soul being engulfed in that darkness. And this is where when we really tune into the gifts that we've been given on this spiritual path, that we can really align ourselves in that deeper way. We can be real. We don't have to philosophize. We don't have to put on airs of our spirituality. We can be real. We can touch people from the depths of our heart with a kindness, with a compassion that starts to allow them to see through the veil of darkness as well and to feel and to know that light is in them, illuminating them and bringing them into enlightenment and into that oneness of the divine. Let's meditate. 